0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm
1: working hard for respect in my city. I'm working Respect, yeah. You think you got it, I got it for real. You, you got what I got. Uh, this one for those they forget in my city. This one for those they forget. Yeah, this dog of the leash and it's ready to kill. Yeah. Homie, go finish your meal. I'm coming for
0: you. <laughs> this
1: is a production. A hey, double. Hey, what's on? What up, man? We here. We are here. Give me one second just to make sure this is recording. Let me hear you. Hey, what's up? Ah, tremendous. Okay, three, two, one. All right. So this is a locker room. This is a room that I host once a week, moving to twice a week in the near future. But for now, it's usually Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Eastern time for about an hour. Uh we're starting a little later than usual because Alan, you know, man, I like to be honest with my audience. Don't do it. I had some explosive diarrhea, folks. So I just had to say it. Just had to say it, man. Cause Alan was like, yo, where are we at? What are we doing? And I was like, listen, I've used the bathroom three times since the finals of the uh France game. So Alan, thank you for joining me, brother brother.
2: I'm very excited first full slate is done. We've seen every team at the Euros once. Uh,
1: not too many standouts,
2: but we've had some pretty memorable moments.
1: Yeah. Um, as I'm pulling up the uh, score sheets from the first round of games. So everyone's played one game. Um, overall thoughts so far of the Euro Cup. What would you say? Uh I'm waiting for more, I guess, intensity.
2: I, maybe just because of the long club season, we haven't quite gotten enough of a test here, just classic games. Like, I thought Germany-France was very well played. Even though France was a superior team, I did see enough quality from both teams. And I've see Netherlands-Ukraine really set the bar high. But I don't know. I just, I feel like we haven't really seen many comebacks yet. Not a lot of upsets. So, and then I think some teams were like playing for a draw, a la Croatia, which was very disheartening. So, uh, I'm waiting for it to pick up, but overall, at least we got some moments and we got at least one incredible, iconic goal that everyone's going to be watching for the next 50, 100 years. Uh,
1: we'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to the goal. I do want to go in order from the, the opening match of the Euro Cup, Italy and Turkey. Um, Alan, We'll do like a group by group sort of rundown of the Euro, but I want to start with Italy a little bit because it was something we referenced on the pod, the the preview show, which shout out to everyone that listens to that, man. We got a lot of good feedback. The numbers for that were doing sensational from the beginning, from the early stages of VM. It seemed like when we would do soccer, we got some good feedback and the numbers are doing great. So thank you to everyone that listened to that. Alan, something that I mentioned, I even made a clip about it, was Italy's kind of always just there as a team that we need to take serious, as a team we need to consider, historical power, especially now coming off a, uh, a, a no-show, didn't even make the last World Cup major tournament, come out very feeling out process in that first half, and then they went 3-0 against Turkey. Would you agree with that sentiment about Italy?
2: I think that the biggest winners, if you want to look at it from like a morale standpoint, like they really made their mark. They had to, given that you know, the game was at the Stadio Olimpico, a very balanced group. But it's a group that you think they should win. And we wanted to see this free-flowing Italian attack. And I think they created a lot of chances. And I was surprised at how they just completely backed Turkey up. And that they could have scored more, maybe gotten a penalty or two in the first half. But overall, you have to be impressed with Italy, and I think there's more to come. And you look at like all the top teams, you know, in their first slate. I think, from an expectation standpoint, I think Italy's the one team that uh, probably surpassed expectations, and there's a really good feeling about them.
1: Yeah, man, it, it's gonna. It, it. I find issues trying to disagree with that, man. They were unbelievable, uh, especially in that second half. Really opened it up number four spin uh, uh, uh spinazola spin, yes spin, oh my goodness dude i'll be honest with you bro i didn't know who he was yeah he's on roma him. and he was he was man of the match mm-hmm. uh I, I mean i'm if he continues this pace i think you could lock up the right back slot for the euro 11 team uh for this tournament with him there and uh uh Immobile, he, he got a goal also, very solid defensively. We talked about uh, Chiellini and Bonucci, just the experience back there and them two just being so solid from all the years playing together, both club and international.
2: Yeah, and uh, I think Barella is also a huge fan. At that time, midfield, which ha- they haven't had Verratti yet, and when he comes back in the fall, we'll, they'll see him even be more solidified there. But Overall, you just have to – there's a lot of good vibes out in Italy, which is rare because usually going to tournament, there's a lot of paranoia. This time around, uh, just overall good vibes.
1: What did you think about Turkey? Because I do think both of us had them going through. Uh, pretty disheartening, but
2: let's see these next two games. It's, it's very hard for to get eliminated as we've spoken before. Like you have to be really bad not to go through to around sixteen, so – Look, they had the toughest opponent, and it was a little disappointing to see them so defensive, but I do expect a better showing just because I think you know, a lot of their players are coming off the best seasons of their respective careers at the club level.
1: If you guys hear honking in the background, is because Alan is very handsome, and when cars drive by, they like to <laughs> honk at him.
2: Hey, no comment. <laughs> no
1: comment. All right, Switzerland, Wales, shout-out to my guy Jordan. Jordan in the chat right now. Young Wales. Key
2: for more. That's right.
1: Six foot four. Big man. <laughs> Key for more. Score in the equalizer for Wales. Wales one one against Switzerland. A little. Uh, I think that was a good result for Wales. Uh, Switzerland was a team that was favored to make it out the group. Not saying that they're not going to, but that was a nice result for Wales. A team that is caught the the world's hearts. The heartstrings pulled the, the pulled the heartstrings on the world uh, in that last Euro Cup when they made their run. But w- what do you feel about that game?
2: I think they got completely outplayed. They were pretty fortunate to win. Um, Switzerland probably could have scored two or three. But credit to Wales, they were they were they looked dangerous. Like kinda. I think Daniel James plays wing for Man United. He showed a lot of promise. I was surprised he got taken off. He was like cursing out the manager when he got taken off, which was kind of hilarious. By the way, the Welsh manager like. He was looking like Jorge Sampali, who was the old Argentine manager from the last World Cup. This guy just has his tats out, black t-shirt, like no care in the world. You see all these managers with suits on. This dude just wearing a black tee with tats. It's hilarious. But uh, not that Switzerland was a far better team, and I think they're going to be disappointed not to get the three points, especially since they got played Italy on Wednesday.
1: Yeah, that's a tough draw for them now, having Italy. You're going to need to get points in that game, and Italy pretty much <clears throat> locks up a top seed if – if they win that game uh, and also Italy will be playing their next two games at home as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I do feel uh, is there anything else you want to add to that?
2: No, I just, I just want to mention, I think Wales gets a little bit benefit because if Italy wins, they probably will rest their players. Rest so the Wales, guys, yeah. yeah, Wales could get that advantage. Kind of like Ireland back in 2016, I, Italy rest their players. And Ireland, Ireland benefit. And that's how they went through. So you uh, little
1: UK connection there. Okay. Denmark, Finland. Obviously, the biggest storyline of this was the incident with Christian Eriksson. Today, as of June 15th, Tuesday, he put out a public statement posted on his Instagram that he's doing better. And I put out a podcast. If you guys didn't listen to it, I will, it's about a 30 minute episode. I'd say about 22 minutes is about how that whole situation was handled. So I'm going to defer to Alan on this one, only because I've made my points very clear and loud. And even a recent social media post of mine, I talk about that. Um, Alan, us two didn't really speak much on this. Uh, What was going through your mind during that Denmark and Finland game?
2: Especially when you look at how the players were huddling up around them, that was just something like, okay, this is very serious. Just the, Of course, the way you like, face-planted, that was very disturbing, but then you see the players around just wanting the privacy. It was a scary situation, and you look at uh, Simon Kier, who's the captain, major credit to him. He's someone that, uh, I believe, performed CPR and someone that was really there, and Casper Schmeichel, the goalkeeper who uh, witnessed a few years ago Lester's chairman uh, died in a horrific plane accident, so like, He's already seen some traumatic things in his life and now he's the deal with you know Christian Erickson, the heart and soul of the team. Uh obviously having a cardiac arrest. It's just uh, it's hard to summarize. It was just very disturbing to watch and I didn't like the fact that I had to play two hours later. I think UEFA should have taken more of action on that, not put it in the players' hands because it's it's like, you saw even when they were warming up, like they were fighting tears and it's just like they can't psychologically be right for this but given the torment, the structure of it they, they had to play at some point i guess but i would have preferred Sunday morning just consulting with everyone but nevertheless it's yeah it's very disturbing very disappointing and you know prayers of christian erickson because uh there's no, it, that's just an uncontrollable situation there's just no one could have predicted something like that and just the way he fell was just oh man something i don't want to see ever again
1: yeah, for those of you that are in the chat, I would love to hear your thoughts about that uh, situation and what was going through your mind. Um, one thing that I want to uh, point out again, a report came out that Simone Kier, the captain for Denmark, who is a AC Milan player, Alan. Did you see this? That AC Milan wants to make him the captain for the team next year because of the way he handled that situation on Saturday. He's a hero.
2: There's no doubt bad. He's a hero. So that's that's a that's a big deal. Salute to him.
1: You know, it was uh what do you think about them going out there and playing again? Because another report came from a press conference that the Danish manager said, you know, a player gets COVID and games get postponed, mm-hmm. but a guy has cardiac arrest and almost dies, we play thirty minutes later.
2: Yeah. It's I just did not like it all. I think they should have played it the next morning, which I think was the plan. Uh, and I just don't think they should put it in the hands of Erickson or the players. It's like you got to consult uh, with you know, managers and just got to see what what's right through them. Like at least have like a real communi- like a communication process. I I, like, I just don't know if you want to put it in the players' hands because they feel this pressure. And it just seems like they were kind of bullied into it, which is really unfortunate. And, and you look at the game; they had 23 shots. They lose the game one nothing, and Finland only had one shot. And you look at the goal; like Kasper Schmeichel saves that nine out of ten times, and then you know Hoyberg misses a penalty, really bad penalty. It was just everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for them. And it's just it's it's just really disappointing from a psychological level, and that just you know, you know, performance not really on the minds of their players you know, at that time, and. It's just I don't know how Denmark recovers. I, I know now they're everyone's favorite team. We, we hope they do well, but it's just oh man, it's, it's going to take a long time for them to recover from that image.
1: Yeah, and it, it's unfortunate for Finland, who got sort of painted the villain in this situation because everybody wanted Denmark and was pulling for Denmark. Mm-hmm. And I talked about this on the pod that I did. I remember texting my dad because he called me and he said that the game is going to continue because I was on my way back from the gym. And uh, I saw the players warming up and I texted my dad. I was like, I'm not able to make this bet, but I would bet on Finland because not that I wanted Finland to win. But, dude, the players on Denmark were crying, warming up. Like yeah. they were in no shape or form to go out and perform at a high level. And I felt bad for those players, man.
2: Yeah, and now you expect them to bounce back a few days later. They got to play Belgium. It's like, it's, it's, it's very, I, at this point, man, I know they're going to be playing with the, like, heavy hearts, but it's just everything that could have went wrong, went wrong. And I just, I don't know where they go from here. It's going to take a little, it's good that they have like a really strong connection. They have a lot of veterans in that locker room, you know, that have gone through adversity before. So at least they have that, but it's just, ah, oh, man. I don't know. And then there's, I think, believe there's games that's still in Copenhagen, so it's gonna be weird how the fans are gonna react to it too. It's just, it's a very bad situation, and I don't know. I, I don't know what their future is.
1: Jordan mentioned something in the chat. One thing to note: all the players were offered some sort of counseling therapy because of the situation. Yeah, and rightfully, that's so. good.
2: That's good on whether it's Denmark FA or UEFA. That's good on their
1: part. Yeah, also big ups again to the medical staff, the way they handled that situation. You expect to go and treat hamstrings and groin injuries or maybe a back pull, uh not cardiac arrest. And the way that they were able to handle that was tremendous. I would give them all a raise, and uh, I don't think anyone would have any issues with that if that was Absolutely. The case. Uh You mentioned Belgium. Belgium coming off a 3 0 win against Russia. Um, my biggest takeaway from this game, Alan, was when Hazard came in, man, that dude does not look anywhere near himself. And I know it was only about 20 minutes, but I really felt as if he was the biggest X factor, maybe potentially of this whole tournament. Because if you factor in how Lukaku looked at Inter coming into this tournament, KVB obviously didn't play in the first game, but he's not ruled out of the tournament. A lot of their guys coming in with some momentum – Hazard was the guy who we just didn't know what we were going to get. And it seems like his brother is the better of the two now, which is something you probably weren't saying three years ago. Sure. With all that being said, I don't know what to make of Belgium. I know they won 3-0, but uh, there's something about them that doesn't sit right with me.
2: They desperately need De Bruyne back. There wasn't a lot of creativity through middle. I just thought they capitalized on a lot of Russian errors. Uh, I've watched a decent amount of games. I'm, I've watched every game, but I watched, I think I have all the games I watched. Russia by far the worst team. They offered nothing looked very sloppy. The back keeper looked shaky. I think that Belgium capitalized on that and they just don't have the creativity about De Bruyne, but he'll be back. I think the best case scenario for them handle their business against Denmark. And then you go into that third game against Finland with pretty much the group wrapped up. Maybe that's where you could give Hazard a start and hopefully he gets back some sort of fitness because you want that third game where you pretty much locked up first place and you had that flexibility. So that's the best case scenario for them. I didn't think they necessarily looked bad, but I I think that game was more of just how hopeless Russia looked rather than how good Belgium was.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. How That that said more about how bad Russia was and how good Belgium was. So I agree with you on that. Okay, Sunday morning. Oh, boy. Oh, boy is right. My guy, Alan, I text Alan, uh, basically said, what the fuck was that? And he sent me a rant. And uh, I figure we, we let him elaborate a little bit more on the uh, on the pod. Uh, what happened with Croatia, man? First of all, I do feel like your expectations were a, a lot lower with this crop coming in, a little bit of turnover. Um, a lot of guys that the casual might not know of, though Maldry's is still there, Perisic is still there. Tell us tell us about this game, man. England coming out, 1-0 win, Sterling
2: versus Croatia. I think it could have been 2 or 3-0. No, it was just... I think the fact that they really did not create much, even though possession was 50-50, I just thought England looked more tense. They were pressing a lot more. They're winning second balls. It just seemed like England, for the most part, was in control. I don't think Pickford would make one difficult save. I think Croatia maybe had two half chances. And it's just they don't know their best team right now. They try to rub it up top. He's a winger. Because I think Croatia was just looking at, we're going to press England, and then hopefully that midfield will control with Brozovic, Modric, and Kolicic. But England's midfield completely outplayed him. Like, dude, Calvin Phillips this is a player who was at the second division with Leeds last year. He now leads in the premiership. He was like their main player. He completely outplayed them. Like that, the fact that England ran the midfield and created loads of chances, probably should one, two, three, won two, three, now, like I mentioned before. It's very concerning. And the fact that Croatia didn't show much resistance. Compared to what, three years ago when they beat him in the semifinal. I just, I knew this was England's time. I, I had a feeling England was going to win, but the fact that Croatia offered little to nothing from an attacking standpoint was very disarming. And it was just lackadaisical. It really was. And credit to England, I thought it was a very mature performance. Defensively it looked really sound. And you know, even though Harry Kane did get, didn't get on board, I think it was really crucial for them to get Raheem Sterling going because he's someone that hasn't always delivered for England on the big stage. And for him to score and just look like a threat all game long. That's yeah, huge for him. And then with him and Foden, and England has a lot of weapons. And I think going forward, you know, they're going to use utilize a lot of them. So you know, big ups to them. As for Croatia, they desperately need to get together on Friday against the Czechs.
1: Yeah, and that, that seems to be a bigger game than – I mean, we always thought it was going to be a big game. But now Czech Republic due to goal differential, which is something that I think is going to come into play – for the rest of these games and just moving forward in the group, goal differential is going to be huge. That's why you're going to see teams trying to pile on when they get a chance to. Um, you know, uh, we still haven't gotten to the team that has impressed me the most thus far. We'll get to them in a second, but you know, it was it was nice to see that with all these Manchester United and and. Tottenham guys on on England it was sort of guys from like like you said um the dude that kind of made that chance Gal- Galvin Phillips Declan Rice like yeah you know it was nice to see that too Mason Mount played and yeah mm-hmm. they just have so much talent still you know just on that team you know yeah. Jack Relish is a guy who a lot of the English fans uh would you say he's a polarizing player or what? No, I think everyone.
2: I don't think it's anything controversial. I just think what his best position is is he a left winger number ten. That's where they try to fit him. I think everyone loves Jack Grealish. It's just a matter of how does he fit Gareth Southgate's system. That's the issue. But, but yeah, I think you make a great point about Declan Rice coming. Kind of like a lot of it's mid table. Like their center back, Tyrone Mings plays for Aston Villa. Like this is this England team isn't just fully comprised of Chelsea players, Manchester United, Man City players. It's fairly well balanced, and you have to like the look of him.
1: Okay, next up, Austria beat North Macedonia. Um, They had a moment. Your boy Pondev.
2: Man, 37 bigger bolt spot than people I know in their 50s.
1: (laughs) So they tie it. They had a little moment. It was nice. But uh, Austria goes on and wins 3 1 over North Macedonia. Um, look, that was a game that I kind of had on in the background. Wasn't really focused on it too much. Just a game that I didn't even want to wager on. Didn't even do any daily fantasy. It was very just, you know, the matchup was very mediocre for me. So there's not much that I saw. Just that Alaba is, was every time I would look, he seemed to be involved or near the ball.
2: Yeah, he has to be. He's the heart and soul uh, team. I think this, this matchup was like a prime example of like why the Euro is being watered down to 24 teams. This is like a prime matchup. It's like this is why 24 is probably not the best format. And this is what you're going to get when you do give more teams opportunities. But, you know, this is North Macedonia's first game. I think it's a cool moment for the fans. But other than that, I didn't really have much takeaways from
1: that. Okay. I mentioned before how we'll get to the team that I personally think through the first leg of games has looked the best and alan it's the netherlands i thought that the goalie for the ukraine kept that game closer than it should have been he had some really really good saves i was worried about them having a number nine on the field not having one but then that guy ends up scoring a very number nine goal and what i mean by that is he scored a center forwards goal like that was a goal that just it gets a little sloppy in the box, a deflection, and he's there, and he buries it in there. But uh, I felt as if the Netherlands, top to bottom, played the best of any team I saw in the first leg, uh, and also they battled some adversity too, right? Controlling the whole game, dominating, um, and then a absolute golazo gets scored by the Ukraine. Yeah, Malenko uh, big left foot. Romalenko, yeah, which, I mean, the moment that dude was getting it on his left foot, you knew that he was trying to go for goal. Aryan Robin was somewhere
2: giving. Aryan Robin somewhere had to give him a clap.
1: Yeah. And then uh, – yeah, that was a, that, that was really interesting, right? Because my pops mentioned that too, how that was a very Robin Holland-type goal scored on him. Yeah,
2: that, that's just traditional Robin. Boom, get on the left foot, blast a
1: rocket to the top corner. And then shortly after his goal, they tie it 2-2. And then the Netherlands go on and they win it 3-2. So it was a game that they were dominating throughout. Then they were about to drop points. And then they go on and they win it 3-2. And, yo, look, it's not your Ayer Robbins and Schneiders and Van Persie's of the world. But they they got guys who, you know, like De Jong looked like the De Jong everyone fell in love with on Ajax. Uh, Wijnaldum really dominated in the midfield. Dumfries was up and down the flanks. And I really like what I saw from the Netherlands, man. How do you feel about that sentiment, them being the best team that I've seen so far?
2: I don't see it. I They look promising. They obviously create a lot of chances, but there's fragility in the back. The Ukraine create a lot of chances. I also think I thought Ukraine's goalie was responsible for two to three goals. The first goal, the way he just deflected right to one was bad. And then the third goal, I think you have to stop that header. I know it was a little tricky, but there was a lot of time to at least make a better play on it. So um, I think Ukraine's keeper played a big part of them actually losing at least for two to three goals. You know, the Netherlands look promising. I think it's exciting to see, um, you know, the newer generation coming up and they didn't have De lick, which was a big loss. I think once the lick comes back, they should be more solidified defensively. But I, I don't know, for me, they created too many chances. Uh, I mean, it gave up too many chances, and uh, I still am not really convinced by Frank de Boer at all. No, they do have an easy group, so I do think they'll win it, and you know, they'll go to knockout stage. But I don't really see this as a team that's going to seriously challenge to you know win the whole thing.
1: That's very fair. You know, after we recorded and I was doing a deep dive and being a piece of shit and a degenerate, uh, the roadmap for them to get to the semis is relatively easy. Uh, That's what you need. If it goes chalk, Alan, they won't face a group winner, and they avoid the group of death until the semis. Yeah. So what ended up being my favorite bet of the tournament, which we'll see when the time comes if it turns out to be right, was the Netherlands were plus two twenty to make the semis? Uh, only England had better odds than them, wow. and that's because England, if they win their group, which they should, though they are behind on goal differential, if that was to leave, if that was to end now, mm-hmm. they would play six of the seven games in London. The only game they wouldn't play in London would be the quarterfinals match. So the Netherlands, their roadmap. And like you said, that's what you need. They have the easiest route to the semis. But then again, the Netherlands right now are currently second in the group due to goal differential. So goals are going to be a big part of the entire group stage, not just winning and losing. But, you know, how much are you winning by and how much are you losing by? Yeah.
2: And I think given that they're playing Austria, North Macedonia, they're going to amp up that goal differential.
1: Yeah, I would I would agree and say that Ukraine is probably the toughest of the matchups that Absolutely. they're going to have, and they just had that and they snuck away with three points.
2: Yeah. Okay. But I want to I, I wanna quickly mention it was wonderful seeing Shevchenko at the touchline. I I just I always had a soft spot for him. It's good to see him in
1: management. Watching that game, man, I couldn't I couldn't help but think of memories of him on like AC Milan and yeah. and even like. Uh, just everything about him, man. And, he, you know, they mentioned something about how he was the last guy to score for the Ukraine in uh in 2012, tournament. yeah. That's where they were
2: co-hosts.
1: Absolute legend and in, in, in the good way. Not a legend like I used to be sometimes, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Um, DG, what's up, brother, brother? How are you? Daniel Gibson says, what's up, fam? Stopping in on my Veterans Minimum Peoples on a break at work. Laid some money on those Dutch fools. Wish they had my dude Van Dyke. I'd feel better about that. Yes. DG. uh, Yes. Yes. Watching that game, I felt as if if they had Van Dyke at the level he was playing. And it sucks, dude, because apparently this dude is going to be cleared to play. If he'll be cleared for soccer activities in about two weeks. But they couldn't bring him on the roster anyway. So it's not like if they make the finals, they can bring him. Right. Because you're not just going to bring him off a torn ACL to play in a Euro Cup final. But it sucks how, you know, he tore his ACL in October. And if it happened in like August, he'd probably be playing here. And the way mm-hmm. he was playing with Liverpool, I would agree, man. Honestly, bro, I might have picked him to win the whole thing if Van Dyke was there.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: That will be ballsy. I, I, I wouldn't go that far, but obviously with Van Dyke, you're talking about a team that's going to be a lot more strengthened back there. and. Yeah, they could probably challenge, like, I, like, some final I think it's a good step for them. Cause you, dude, like, I was telling people, the last time they were in a major tournament game, like, they had Van Persie, Robin, like, it was 2014, it was that third place game against Brazil, like, it's been a long time for this Netherlands team. So for them to be back now, it, it shows, like, okay, they've had to rebuild their roster, and, um, like, that's why I, I couldn't really call them a true contender. But obviously, they've been slowly progressing over the past four years, and, uh, I, I am I'm, I'm, I'm curious where, like, I want to see them be tested and knockout stage. I wonder what the matchups are going to look like because I just, this group does not offer much.
1: That's a very fair point. Sure. That's a very fair point. Okay. Let's move on over to yesterday's games, Mondays, because I know Alan needs to, to leave in about 10 to 15. Um, Scotland versus the Czech Republic. My call on <laughs> Scotland making it out the group took a hit because I expected points here against the Czech Republic. But you mentioned that wonder goal. Man, what a golazo! <laughs> just the precision of it, like the way it
2: bent, like uh, obviously when you take a shot from the halfway line, like you gotta, you kind of have a vision of where the goalkeeper is at. So I think Patrick Schick had that. Like he had the awareness. Okay. He's off his line a little bit because Scotland was really pressing for the equalizer. And I think the center back, Jack Henry, he took a bit of a, uh, that like, was a bad decision. His part to take a shot, I know he hit the post like 10 minutes earlier, but like they could have countered the checks and you know maybe score. But regardless, Shikov see, scored. But I would, it's just one of those moments you're just like, wow, this just the precision and the awareness to do it. And you know, this first goal was brilliant as well, the header, and he's not someone that's just. Paul Striker, he's no Yan or Milan Baros, but he's a different kind of playmaker. And so it's the checks. I thought they were a bit fortunate. They, they allowed a lot of chances. I think Scotland should have done better with them. But, you know, they hung up, they hung in there. And, to, and for that, let's not forget, they had to play in Scotland. This was Scotland's first t- game in a major tournament since 1998. So it was a pretty hostile environment. And you know, they showed a lot of composure and the clinicalness to get the three points.
1: Yeah, it was uh, in front of the home crowd, too, for Scotland. That was a rough one to drop there. But, uh, you know, the, the worst part about that was I feel as if we mentioned it, how both of their best guys were left backs. And I don't believe the Tyranny played. No, he's still not fit. Yeah.
2: yeah they had Robertson who probably should have scored in the first half. Scotland's fun though, man. They were creating a lot of chances. Like it, They were. They yeah. Were. It's just, it's unfortunate they could have, like just for Scotland to have that moment of scoring, like, like they they'll, they get to still play Croatia at home. So maybe their fans will have a chance there to at least have that moment. Because when you're a country that hasn't qualified for Major tournament in 10, 20 years, you hope to at least to get that one moment where they score a goal. So Hopefully, you got that Scotland England. Like, even though everyone expects England to win, I'm looking forward to seeing how intense that game's going to be because the you know, English and Scotch have been talking it up as like you know, a big rivalry. So, uh, I'm I'm curious how that's going to be. Even though I feel like if Scotland concedes early, it could be it could get ugly quick.
1: Poland versus Slovakia. One thing that stood out to me is well, two things. One, Lewandowski realizing just how hard it is to score goals when he doesn't have world-class players around him like he does in Bayern Munich setting him up. That is no slight to Robin Lewandowski. He's, in my opinion, the best number nine in the world. But with Poland, he's not. He is, I would say, a borderline Joubert, Allen. He just, just
2: gets no service, and there's, like, no creativity. It's, it's unfortunate with Poland. Like, people talk about, okay, they're coming up again. But you know, I thought they were one of the worst teams in previous World Cup, and now they lost to what I thought was one of the bottom three teams in Euros in Slovakia, Kuzo-Slovakia. I thought they completely outplayed them. But overall, and then get the red card, like, there was only one red card in the first league, and it was just a weird stamp by Kogoliak. So, I don't know where to go from here. They got to play a Spain team that's kind of desperate on Saturday. I got a big poll and this was the game they really needed to win. Now, it could be another early exit, which is a bad sign you know, for just the overall country.
1: Yeah, and you know what? That tackle that led to the second yellow card, man, it's I, unnecessary. I feel like... What's up? It was
2: unnecessary.
1: The, giving him another yellow?
2: Oh, no. I said the foul was unnecessary. This is a stamp. Like, to me, you got to be more composed
1: right right i hear what you're saying i just felt like if for me to give you a a second yellow that's gonna ruin your tournament as a ref i feel like it needs to be a little more dramatic and more Mm -hmm. devastating but you're right the the entrance was not was not that pleasant um okay most disappointing result easily uh from from a, a power Spain, 0-0 against Sweden. Um, man, uh, Marata has to be in the Mount Rushmore most hated people in Spain right now because the poor guy, just like the memes are coming in. The, the oh my God, we went from David Villa, Raul, to Fernando Torres, and now this guy. Ugh, oh. A guy who never has really hit his ceiling as a player from what they expected, or maybe this is just who he is. But the one issue that I have with Spain is an issue that I've always had with them. And I know it's hard to criticize a team that won three major tournaments. But, yo, if you get 20 yards from net, can we take some shots?
2: That's always been the issue with Spain. Does
1: does everything need to be walked into the six-yard box to have a chance? Can we just shred? Maybe because, like, me playing – when I used to play soccer island, when I would get inside of 30 yards from net – I was, like, foaming at the mouth to just have one sh- just rip. And, like, these guys, are, they're giving them space, and maybe that's why just teams play them that way, where they give them space because they know no one's going to shoot. But, like, not even a threat, you know, like Rodri or, or Koke coming in, you know, and that young kid Pedri started, which surprised a lot of people. Youngest he was player stand ever.
2: Out. He was standout.
1: Yeah, he played well. I'm, that's not a slight to him, but it's just, mm-hmm. like, Yo, they're giving you space. Just have one. Like, let it's the same thing we talk about, like with Giannis in the NBA, right? Like, dude, you don't need to hit all your threes. Can you just like hit thirty percent? Right, you're a twenty eight percent shooter from your career from three. Like, just give us the threat of you shooting one, so that we could defend it. And if you're Spain, when you're outside of the, you're thirty yards from net, just let one rip. Even if you put it in the third row, I don't care. Yeah, put it. Like, let them be worried about that because all this like one-two, one two one two, yeah. Daniel Gibson, you know when I play FIFA, have one,
0: yelling, <laughs> have one.
2: Dude, they had eighty five percent possession. Like that is absurd. Like, imagine having eighty five percent possession in the game. Like, it's somewhere. Coke missed a few chances, but that one by Marata, it's just. Like, you want to talk about having bad body language, When He misses a chance. Like, you just know his confidence is just in the gutter. And it's crazy. You look at his CV. He's played at Real Madrid, Juventus, Chelsea, Atlético Madrid. Like, he's played some of the most top clubs in the world. And it's just, it's still never convinced anyone. And, um, there's probably going to be some discussion. Jarrell Mireno, oh, I know, missed, it. he missed a great chance as well. He scored like 25 goals for Villarreal. I would expect him to probably start, but, you know, look, we we spoke on the previous show. This is not a vintage Spain team. There's a lot of pieces moving around. They've been hit by COVID pretty hard as well. So I, I just I would expect more given how favorable this group is, and you know, maybe they get going against Poland, but overall disappointing and they could have lost at the end. I thought Sweden on the counter looked dangerous, particularly with Isak who I know is like a really top young player out of real Sociedad. so I think they were a bit fortunate to even get the draw despite having eighty five percent possession. But you know, I think we'll see more from them, but I this is a team I don't think we're gonna see like competing for you know kinda like Netherlands, I don't think they're gonna be uh, compete for uh, like a serious contender to win the whole tournament
1: We should have known Sorry, I just muted myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, We should have known that Spain was going to be in trouble because they tied in World Cup qualifying to none other than the Greeks. We
2: got yeah, just one mention.
1: Gotta gotta have it. Come on, bro! I'm a Greek host. I got to do this. One mention. Gotta do this. Okay, Uh, moving on from Spain to today's slate of games. Um, Listen, say what you want about the man. Say what you want about the man. But big-time players make big-time plays and big-time games. And, yeah, one of them was from a penalty spot. But Portugal, you had a tremendous tweet. I'm trying to pull it up right now about how something along the lines of how... They went ugly. Yeah.
2: They went ugly. Yeah, I think their squad is... They haven't been this talented since, I would say, like the 2006 World Cup. Like, I really love this whole core, even though losing Cancel is a huge loss, especially as a, you know, I don't think they have a super replacement right back. But it's just, ah, things didn't really click. And I know it was a intense environment. Like, I don't think people understand how intense the Bush Gas Arena is, especially now you have 60,000 people, and these players got acclimated to play in front of a hostile crowd. Like, it, it's going to be interesting how... Uh, France adjusts to playing in front of like such a big environment like that in Hungary. Even though Hungary nowhere near the town level. But I think for the players, it was a bit of a difficult transition playing in front of uh, 60,000 people. And a Hungary team that's just very rigid. Like They were super physical, and they really made Portugal compete. But overall, that talent at the end, uh, nice move bringing Hernando Sanchez off the bench. And he just provided energy in the key run. To eventually, get the breakthrough, and then eventually, you know, I know they had the deflection with Guerrero, but you know, overall, Portugal has the talent to really make a difference. It's just a matter of, I think they get, they're they one of those teams like they still know what their best 11 is, and they're still trying to move pieces around to put together the right lineup to ultimately make the biggest run to the you know, the tournament.
1: Yeah, your tweet was I got it right here in front of me. Um, Fudge, oh, I just had it. All right, there isn't a better. There isn't a team better at winning ugly than Portugal. And, you know, it sucks how uh, a little bit before that first goal that Portugal scored, a beautiful goal by Hungary, the guy took on the defender on his own from, like, that that right wing, cut it back in and scored. And uh, that would have looked like a a brutal defeat for Portugal, right? Like, if Portugal was not to get three points in this game... yeah. With France and Germany looming, you would have been like, fuck if you're a Portugal supporter. And then it sucks because I thought Hungary played really, really well. Honestly, Alan, if they were in any other group, I probably, knowing what I know now, obviously hindsight is twenty 20 didn't know much about this team. But, man, for losing 3 nothing, they played pretty well. And if they were in another group, I'd probably pick them to advance out of it.
2: Yeah, and... With the with the crowd advantage, but also just how just very physical. Like, like they, I've been waiting to see more teams play intense in this tournament. And like, not many teams have looked as intense as Hungary has, and the way they were really pressing against Portugal, uh, you have to salute them. And I think, you know, it's their upcoming. So they're playing France next. That's gonna be a real funky matchup because, like France, I'm still waiting for them to get a second, third gear. Maybe Hungary could get a little bit more out of them. So that's gonna be a pretty exciting matchup.
1: Last thing I want to say is Cristiano Ronaldo. I believe has scored in eight straight major tournaments. Is it uh, Alan? No, no, it's nine. Nine. Yo, that's the craziest thing, bro. That's absurd.
2: <laughs> like, just the longevity of him on top. It's just unbelievable, and. You know, I was hoping someone—I don't know what network or maybe—I want someone to give him a Coca-Cola and just see him chuck it again. Like Cristiano Ronaldo, I don't know if you saw a clip of like they—he, Coca-Cola is apparently like a major sponsor to Euros. At a press conference, he took the Coca-Cola away and put a water there. He's like, drink water, not Coca-Cola. Just such a Ronaldo move. But you got good credit, man. He he runs it, and you know, look at his body. You know, guys in the great shape of his life.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Guy spends $2 million a year on his body. If he's not doing it, who's spending it? Me? <laughs> of course. Yeah, that's your moneymaker, bro. You should be spending that much money. Listen, what do you think about this take just across sports? We are living in a golden generation, Alan, of talent, all-time talent at the same time. And for us, our generation, our demographic of you know the the under-35-year-olds – Uh, we've we've really like we've experienced Cristiano Ronaldo fully his whole career being able to Mm -hmm. comprehend it understand it appreciate it Tom Brady and LeBron James three legit GOAT candidates in their sports for me personally being able to follow them from the start understand their greatness Mm -hmm. throughout the years and just you know from start to whenever this seems to be ending because you know We don't know when any of these are going to end, the way they're going. Uh, You just got to sit back, man, and, you know, this isn't a LeBron-Jordan debate. This isn't a Messi-Ronaldo. It's just like, yo, take the hater hat off and just appreciate what we're experiencing right now because this is all-time Mount Rushmore-level shit. We're talking near
2: two decades at this point of them being at top of their respective sports. You have to admire me. You might get sick of it, but you have to admire it.
1: Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. You duration has to play into greatness. Like you're talking about two, bro, 20 years of dominance is crazy. Guys go on two, three year stretches and we're putting them in the Hall of Fame. Right. These guys are having two decade long runs. Unbelievable, man. Hats off to them. Big result for Portugal. And the last game that was played today, and we'll wrap up on this one uh France and Germany um Alan I have a hot take and I don't know how we can measure this but I don't think there's a faster person in sports across the board in team sports I should say because I know people would be like Usain Bolt Yeah, yeah. but sports, like yeah. there was a play that Mbappe made where it was like a bullshit through ball through which with, with
2: Matt Hummels
1: with Hummels having a legitimate 15-yard <laughs> advantage on him, I gotta find this clip. I gotta post it on Instagram. It was so ridiculous, yeah. and Mbappe flies past them, and I thought it was a penalty. Bro. Me too,
2: I did too, but but he did Fucking get some of the
1: ball. Mbappe, this dude. A couple of years ago, we were doing this thing on VM with the old panel about the 25 under 25, the best 25 professional team sport athletes under the age of 25. And this was in 2018 that we did this, I believe. No, it was 2019. Mbappe is 22 years old right now. He's still eligible for the young player of the tournament award. (laughs) Uh, But there are some sports books that are not taking the bet on that because they're like, no, this dude is probably going to win the golden ball for the whole tournament. Yo, he is, when it comes to, I think, must watch uh, players. he, He has surpassed Neymar for me as far as just like you take a casual off the street and you're like, yo, you want to watch some dope shit? Mbappe's that dude. His speed, his power, his, I mean, I mean the soccer player that he is too. And like, what more is there? We were talking about it because we were talking about it before I was on Xbox with my friends. Like, what more can he do? He's won a World Cup. Is it just Champions League?
2: Champions League and Euros. Yeah. And just just kind of do Ronaldo to stay at the highest level. Build your yeah. legacy for the next 10, 15 years. And it's so, it was crazy. Like, that even – I know it got ruled out for all sides. But the goal that you – know, I, I wish it was scored, but it wasn't. But it's like, the way he the way he takes on defenders. Like, defenders, if you have two men on them, like, good luck to a right back. Like poor Kimmich, who had – I was shocked he stayed on the pitch. Uh, he got yellow card at the seventh minute. I'm like, oh, if you're a right back and you get a yellow card in the seventh minute and, and going against Mbappe – like, that whole game, you got to be so paranoid. And credit to him, he's a world-class player, one of the few Germany still has. Just for him to, you know, have the composure stay on the pitch and just defend. Like, I thought Germany did a decent job, like, containing him, but... Oh man, France is just—they didn't have to get into like third gear. They just played through Germany pretty easily, and it's—you saw the dimension that Benzema brings now. Like what an upgrade over Giroud. Like the way the runs that he was making, and France, fortunate they—I think they could have won four nothing if things worked out their way. But overall, Mbappe playing a huge part, and you see the respect that he commands now, and I think it's going to just open things up for the rest of the France team.
1: Yeah, I mean. It seemed like during the World Cup he was starting to get that respect and then it was just too late for some teams to adjust to by the time they realized that they were chasing France from behind. Uh, I loved I loved that goal that Benzema scored, a world-class goal, even though it got called back. But, yeah, man, it seemed like uh, Germany had some chances, but never to a point where I kind of felt like France didn't have that game in the bag. Does that make yeah. sense?
2: Yeah, I thought they were in complete control. Other than Gnabry had it being – he kind of scuffed it, but almost with it. But besides that, I think France, Pogba, Conte, amazing performance. I thought Varane didn't put a foot forward. Varane was everywhere, man. Just once again showcasing why he's one of the best center backs in the world. I just think that France team was absolutely loaded. And Other than maybe Rabiot, who looked a little shaky, I just think that they looked so solidified. And You just know like every game, they're going to pretty much be in control. And unless Loris blows it or they're missing chances, like I don't know how France is going to lose. Like it's going to have to take something stunning for them to, you know, shot points. Cause you think about it, like, the last two tournaments, other than the Portugal game, they have not lost in the last two major tournaments. Like they're just, they're always in control. And even when the posting team has possession, which you saw with Germany in the second half, Germany start getting a little, into it more. It's like they're not really creating anything. And, and from a Germany standpoint, I think it's concerning that like a lot of their players, particularly from attacking sense, they weren't creating chances that are not coming off good club seasons. Like, it, it just doesn't seem like Germany has a lot of difference makers, and I think that's a huge concern going forward. So uh, for France, I think other than Italy, I think I was most impressed by France, even though I knew coming in like, for, okay, France is the team to beat. We all know that. But from a Germany standpoint, they just looked like they were out of ideas pretty quickly, and you know, I don't know what you can blow. Uh, is going to do. But you know, they, I think they, they're another team that needs to figure out what their best line is because I don't think it was that today.
1: And uh, just so much riches on the bench, right? We didn't see Giroud, but that's an option. They bring in Dembele at the end. They also have Coman on the bench too. Uh, just, just so much, so much depth. Uh, all right, as we start to wrap up here, because I know you got to go, and also I want to keep this to a relatively short one. Uh, I'm going to ask you two quick questions. going to put you on the spot. You, you hate when I do this to you, but I like the natural reaction. Let's do it. What team do you think is in the most trouble after one game? Oh, Croatia. Yeah, I was really doing, uh, home.
2: Dude, I, I think I have all the bigger teams. Like, they were the most disappointed. Like, I didn't think they put up much of a threat against them. And after seeing what the check's done – it's, it's a big test, especially for this generation that, you know, decent amount and this is probably their last go at it. So for them to go outside in the group stage would be horrible look. So, yeah, they need a, they need a response ASAP, them in Germany.
1: Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. I do think some of the teams that don't have any points now also are behind the eight ball when it comes to goal differential or like Turkey. They got no points and also minus three Russia minus three, no points. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Even even like, you know, the goal differential, especially if you're a third-place team, that's going to come really into play when you start looking at, all right, what did Group A's third place, Group B's third place do? So, well man, if if you're losing, you can't – you've got to play the whole 90 in, uh, in stoppage time. You can't give in some cheap goal at the end because that could be brutal for you, you know, like – Hungary, that that last goal that Ronaldo scores, where it kind of looked like the team just gave up. It's like, man, that might come back and haunt you. I know the group is tough, and it might be a little bit of a stretch to even bring that up. But that's just asking a lot for you to have to overcome.
2: I say the same goes for Russia on the second Lukaku goal at the end. I think it could have been defended better. You know Lukaku, I call him the cheat code. My pick for golden boot. Um, That's that. Second goal for him, third goal for Belgium, that easily could have been defended. And Russia's in a group where things are kind of opening up, given what's going on with Denmark and Finland being Finland. So that could come back to haunt them. So, yeah, very, very good point about the situations that Denmark and, uh, excuse me, Turkey and Russia are in.
1: I agree with you, like I said, about Croatia. Uh, A team that I'd be concerned about is Spain, even though they have a point. I did not like what I saw from them. Um I don't care if you have 80% possession if you're not 85 be a, 85 Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. <laughs> even better. Even better. Dude, Shit, that's like 80, 80 is a head scratcher. Like how the hell did that happen? Now you're saying 85. <laughs> but yeah. yo, dude, like you, you got you got to be a threat, man. And you got players that could dominate games too. So that was really upsetting for me. Um all right, let's let's wind down here. Uh Alan, thank you for joining me thank you everybody who joined the locker room and we will catch you guys next week on locker room and as far as vm goes we will catch you guys later this week I'm for real, that it's right now
0: can't let a drop me spill clogging the lane i'm filling the stream. i'm here for the spot to be filled not to be cocky but all of you watching while i'm in the cup paying property bills